0: Well, thank you so much. Good to be here. Uh, I first met Chad because we, we have a prayer room in New York City, and uh, this psycho guy showed up one week <laughs> and was there, I think we were doing four hours a day in our prayer room at that point, and he was there all four hours, winning friends, influencing people, connecting with others, but mic's where if you put your hand there it'll go up. Okay mate gotcha. By the end of the week he was leading a press set and writing worship with our worship pastor. So uh, you know when he says will you come to California you come to California. So uh, thank you so much for that. So I'm just honored to be here with you. I feel like God's in it. I feel like it's an appointed moment. You're not here by accident. God has something for you. You could have been born in any time, any place in all of history, and God's put you here now. There's good works prepared in advance for you to walk in, in this next season. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, what you've come through, there's still beautiful days ahead for you. So we're going to learn this weekend to step into that, what that looks like. And uh, I'm just really believing for God to do something special. If you're under 18, can you stand up if you're in the room? If you're under 18. <laughs> under 18, come on. That's what's up. That's what's up. Thank you guys for being here. This is for you. These men are serving God Getting their lives right, and they're doing this for you. You're going to be leading all this before you know it. You're going to blink, and you're going to be running this thing. So I'm so glad you're here, getting the seeds of the destiny on your life watered. So uh, just open your heart. When I was your age, I I prayed. I dropped out of high school when I was 16. I worked in a meat factory until I was 20. Did an apprenticeship, loved it. And it was at your age right now that God took a hold of my life. And you never, never know what seeds will be sown into your heart, what God will do, where you'll be in 20 years. Lean in. This whole thing may be for you. Amen. Thank you for being here. Okay, if you have a Bible, if you can turn to Second Timothy chapter 2. This is a classic passage. Several years ago, I was walking through the city of Rome. And it's an amazing city. Visited the, uh, all the tourist sites, went up saw where the gladiators fought, walked around, went to the catacombs where the early church hid and prayed while they were being persecuted. And I remember hearing in a sermon about a place called the Mamertine Prison. And the Mamertine Prison is just off the, the the ruins, the Colosseums here. Then you've got the Palatine Hill. This is where all the Caesars were. And then right at the end of that, there's, there was, when I went there, it's, it's all changed now. They've turned it into a museum, and you have to go in and get a tour. When I went there, there was nobody there but one nun. And I walked in, and when you walk in, you're coming into this tiny little chapel. There's a picture of it uh, up here, I believe. Tiny little chapel, and you walk in, and you you don't see anything at first. This looks like nothing. And then you see this this hole that you go down into. And this is the prison where historians are sure, there's very little historic conjecture, that the Apostle Paul wrote this book. He's about to declare the gospel, he's about to preach to the emperor, and he's about to lose his life. And he's sitting there in this room, and to sit in this room and to read this passage, you get a sense of what's at stake. Now, you understand this, when you get to the end of your life, And you're running out of time and you've got stuff you've got to get off your heart. You choose your words carefully. When you're looking into the future and you realize other people are going to have to carry the legacy of what you left out there, you pick your metaphors carefully. And so this is a moment where Paul is at the very end of his life and he's writing the last book he will write before he dies for his faith. And he's writing to Timothy. And this is what he says. You remember, Timothy is pastoring a church in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus is a wild city. It's dominated by a goddess who is covered with breasts, who is a goddess of the hunt, who oversaw childbirth and ruled her city in terms of culture and economics and holidays and schedule with an iron fist. And here is Timothy. And Timothy's young. And here's what we know about Timothy. He's got a weak stomach and so Paul writes this letter to Timothy, and this is what he says to him You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete doesn't receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Continuing on in that passage, verse 20, 21, In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the Master, and prepared to do any good work. This is God's Word. We are living at a moment of crisis. And the crisis, fundamentally, is a crisis amongst men. Women are doing well. Women are doing fine. Women are excelling in education. Women are excelling in business. They're excelling in the corporate world, and it is men that are sucking wind, particularly men in their 20s. we're, We're starting to get to the point where there's an epidemic in men in their early 20s, low call, no sense of purpose. They're living in a world that doesn't seem designed for men anymore. Throw on top of that, me too, throw on top of that, scandals inside the church, the rise and fall of whatever, everything. And all of a sudden you begin to realize that we need men not to be passive, not to sit back, but to heed these words because of the seriousness of this moment. Now this passage is an amazing passage because what Paul is saying to Timothy is that the solution for the problems you are facing in Ephesus is finding better men. And so I want to ask you a question tonight because this is the question that Paul is saying. Would, would Timothy put you in leadership in the church of Ephesus. Paul's saying, you got to find men. The key to the future of this church and this city is finding the right men. And so the question, he says, you got to go find men of a certain kind, rare men, and then he goes and lists it out. And so I want you to ask, as we're listening to this, would Timothy meet with me and say, let's grab coffee? I got to talk to you. You're the kind of man I'm looking for. I want to put you in a leadership as a part of the solution to the problems in our city and in our church. Well, what is that? What does it look like? Well, this is the, he says this, there's several things that God is looking for. The first thing he's looking for is people he can trust. He says, Be strong, that's in the grace in Christ Jesus. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, in trust. In trust. Now, this is the idea of somebody who stewards something with a sense of responsibility and reverence. They're not lighthearted. They're not frivolous. They've been given something and they take it seriously. It's amazing how many people have a kind of theology that says, God doesn't need to trust me because you can do whatever you want because of Jesus' grace. Like is the gospel is just like a simple thing, you screw up, you ask for forgiveness, whatever, calm down. Let me do my thing. He says, no, I'm looking for people that understand the treasure that they have been given, the mysteries of God, the secrets of the kingdom, and they honor it. Last weekend I had the privilege of uh, preaching at an, event with, at an event with John Bevere, and he, he told this extraordinary story uh, about visiting a pastor who was taken into prison. I think it was uh, Jim Baker, and some of you are a little older will remember that that debacle. But Jim Baker was one of America's most famous preachers. and He ends up having an affair on his wife, and he ends up embezzling money or stealing money, and then going to prison. And so he's going into the prison to meet with Jim Baker, and he's got one question on his mind, and the question is this: like, how? You're a pastor; you understand God's word. Like, when did you stop loving Jesus? So he sits him down, and he comes in and he says, look, before we get into this and talk about anything, i got to know, when did you stop loving Jesus? And he looks back at him and he says, stop loving Jesus. I never stopped loving Jesus. I just stopped fearing God. I just stopped fearing God. Everyone loves Jesus, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he said, I took for granted as a common thing a normal thing, the grace of God. There's moments when, I mean, we love these metaphors, there's moments when Abba shows up, Abba, daddy. And there's moments when the king shows up. And what he's saying is like, it's good to have Abba, but there's moments you got to have the king. And he's like, you, when the king gives you something to, tr- to trust and to hold, you got to take that seriously. God's looking for people he can trust. Paul says to Timothy, find men in that city that God can trust. Then he says they've got to be reliable. They've got to be disciplined. This is one of those things. It's like doesn't matter if the call of God's on your life if you can't get there on time, if you're late for the meeting, if you forget to pay the thing, if you're tripping over daisies on the field of battle, in armor, running, and then you forgot to clear the small rocks and you're just face planting in front of your foe. So he's looking for people who are reliable, people who can just show up, people who who can handle it. And then he says this, I'm looking for people who are strong in grace. Find people who are strong in grace. They're going to take it seriously. They're going to be people who are reliable and they're strong in grace. We live in a fragile generation. We live in a time of history where people are triggered if you literally walk in the room. It's like I'm triggered. I hear all the time. Like, I'm, I'm so worried I'm gonna burn out. And I say sometimes, in all honesty, you're not even burning yet, let alone burning out. I'm doing 38 hours, man, I'm struggling here. Like 30, I did 38 hours in two days! And so we've got a generation that is weak in almost every category. And listen, Jesus is, Jesus is merciful to the weak. But if you wanna win a war, you gotta find people who are strong. And Paul says, you've got to find people who are strong, and they're strong in grace. That They have the ability not to be easily offended. They have the ability to forgive other people. They have an ability to overlook things and to just keep going forward. Grace is an unlimited measure. And some people think they can't show too much of it because they're going to run out. Got to find people who are strong in grace. And then he does something interesting. So the first thing is, like, you've got to find these right people. But then he says they're going to live the right kind of lives. So they've got these characteristics, but then they they model it in the right kind of lives. How many of you know that the metaphors you pick determine the way you see reality? The way you see reality. He picks three metaphors in this passage about what it means to be the kind of person that can be used by God in a church and in in, in a region. And so he starts talking about their lies. First metaphor he uses is that of a soldier. He says this, join with me in suffering. How many of you are like, that's it? It's like, do an altar call. Hey, folks. How many of you want to suffer for God? Good. Come forward right now. This is not most people's response. But Paul's like, find people who get a sense of joy. They have a willingness to pay the price. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Soldiers in the Roman army had to serve a minimum of 20 years. They had the legion tattooed on them, not not too different from men who serve in the marines today who will often get a tattoo to mark their time. They were committed, they could not abandon or desert. In the Roman Code of Theodesis, they said, we forbid men engaged in military service to engage in civilian occupations. So they they were committed to the task that they were given. They were focused. It required courage, sacrifice, a sense of commitment, and they had the right understanding of the fact that they were in a war. They knew who their enemy was. This kind of focus and discipline is rare in the church today. Now, part of the problem is we we live, and one of the enemy's greatest plan is to get you to hate the people that God loves. His greatest plan is to turn, instead of being in a spiritual war where you are attacking the principalities and powers, he wants you to attack politicians and neighbors. He wants you to turn from Satan and turn your neighbor into Satan and to hate them. And that's what we saw in this last season, because people didn't have an understanding of the war they were in, They got in culture wars and the casualties were the very people God had called them to reach. Soldiers who were focused on what God had for them. And he says this, if you're serving in the military, don't get entangled in civilian affairs. Can you imagine a soldier in Iraq collecting Pokemon cards? And he's literally in a shootout. Imagine one of Jocko's men in an operation... And then in a shootout, and he goes, Did you see my new car? And he's literally pulling, you would be like, What the heck is wrong with you? What is there? Put them in your, burn them. Like there's life and death. that so you would be like, And someone was just obsessed with Pokemon cards in the middle of a gunfight. You would just be like, This is not appropriate, man. I don't care what a Shazon is going I don't even know if that's a thing. I don't know if your Shahzad is going to be worth in 20 years. You're in a fight. <laughs> Here's the truth. Most of what most of what, will sabotage you in being used by God in your family, in your community, in your workplace. It's not the big things. Sometimes it's big things. In a room like this, it's going to be big things. But for the most part, it's going to be small things you get entangled in. It will be civilian affairs. This idea in the Greek means to weave, which means something that doesn't matter, is woven through your life to the point where you can't get out of it. I felt God begin to put his hand on my life during the pandemic. Pandemic was hard, wasn't it? It was, it was hard. Like, no, nah, it was easy. Okay, good. It was hard. And I, I, I just found myself like not knowing what to do. For the last 17 years, I've, I've lived in the middle of New York City. A wild life. Two blocks from Times Square, just a wild, crazy life. And and, and the pandemic was happening, and everybody's trying to help, but you're just locked in your apartment. And I don't, I don't know about you. I mean, it's like I was like, maybe God invented Netflix for this exact moment in history. (laughs) But I began to have this sense in my heart: I don't want. My grandchildren to say, Dad, or Granddad, what did you do in the great pandemic? And my answer was only the TV shows I could list out that I'd watched on Netflix. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it. but Sons of Anarchy, anyone seen that? Anyone seen Sons of Anarchy? It's a trap. Don't put your hand up. I'm about to attack it. Some of you are like, oh, no, no, my neighbor. He's... Sons of Anakin, I've always ridden motorbikes since I was 15. I have a Harley and a Triumph. I love motorbikes. I thrash the, the Triumph through the city and I get out into the upstate on the Harley. Love it. And uh, there wasn't a lot, like, pastoring was very complicated. But joining with Jax and a fictional biker gang in NorCal, that was simple. And so for some reason, for some reason, I just found myself like going, you know, it's been a rough day. Let me see what the boys are up to. It's just like watch an episode of Sons of Anarchy. Now, the problem with Netflix, if some of you who are older will remember this, you never used to be able to just get the next episode. It was Blockbuster, you get the next DVD. But, mate, this stuff is crack for the heart. It's just like right after the other. So I'm doing like, I don't know, a couple of episodes a day. Season one's done. Season two season three, season four, season five, season six, when it's all said and done, I realized that I had invested nearly 100 hours of my life was emotionally connected to the stories of these fictional characters in a motorcycle gang in Northern California. Now, here's the thing none of you would have been able to go to my elders and say, right now, I want to lodge a complaint. John Tyson is disqualified from eldering because he like, he watched Sons of Anarchy. I'm not even talking Games of Thrones, I'm talking Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I gotta tell you, the Holy Spirit put His hand on me. What could have happened with those hundred hours? Both of my kids are gone. They're, they're in college now, they're out of the house. I'd give anything for another hundred hours with my daughter. I'd give anything for a hundred hours with my non believing neighbors. I'd give anything for a hundred hours to comfort my city when it was in a point of trauma i give anything to get that time back. And at the time, it just felt like nothing. But when you get back and get perspective, I realize it's these small things that are going to destroy my life. It's not the big things. I'm not going to have an affair because I'm not going to be dealing with an affair. You're going to be dealing with a murder. I married a woman. She's going to be like, I love the Lord. I'll see you in heaven. Please come get it. This is my wife. I don't know who you married. I got the fear of God and the fear of my wife. These small things, these small things. Remember seeing that movie, The Hurt Locker, about that guy? He comes back. He's in a supermarket. He's just walking around and looking at the biggest choices people are dealing with. He's picking flavors of ice cream and cereal. And what he's carrying around inside of him and how trivial these choices were. We live in a time of history where there's so much opportunity and Satan knows in order to make you ineffective, he doesn't need to blow you up. He just needs to distract you with trivial things. He doesn't need to get you out of the military. He just needs you to be seduced by small little things that are inappropriate for a man of your calling and your destiny. And Paul says this, you got to find people and put them in that church who have the metaphor of a soldier in the army of God, understand the war they're in, focused and disciplined in the life they're living, and not getting tucked into these small, irrelevant things. When I became a new believer, I had this old woman. who was like a prayer warrior, a mother of the church. And she would say this to me all the time. She got it from this card from a little bookstore. I just said this, others may, you may not. The question is not, is this sinful? The question is, is this releasing my destiny? It's not, is this is this wrong? The question is, is this going to accelerate me into the opportunities that God has for me all around me? So the first people you got to look like, they're going to have that military mentality about what it means following Jesus. Second thing he says, this is about athletes. He says, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Now, to compete in the Olympics back then was pretty similar to what it means to compete until the Olympics today. They were pledged by an oath to a minimum of 10 months strict training and preparation before they would compete. They would compete completely naked because they didn't even want their clothing to make the difference. You know, at the Olympic level, it's not like five seconds or two seconds that determines the winner. It is like .01 with a camera between four years of excruciating training and gold medal or a silver medal. It's a game of inches. It's a game of microseconds. The same thing then, they had to come and bow and take an oath before the statue of Zeus. And if they did anything to violate the rules in their preparation or in the event, they would disqualify just like that. And it's one of those things, you've heard it before, but champions are not made in the event, they're revealed in the event. It's all the stuff that happens in private that nobody sees that reveals in those moments that matter what was actually in there. And this is what he says, you got to have people. you got to find people who are disciplined in the private place so they have power in the public place. When I lived in... Orlando, Florida. I live right near Disney World. It was not bad. My kids were little. My wife used to get Saturdays on her own, and every Saturday I took my kids to Disney. I was such a bad dad. They'd say, "We're going to go on the fun rides," and I'd say, "No, we're going to go on the rides that let Dad have a bit of a nap." So I'd go on like the fifteen-minute rides that kids hated but adults love Tuck my kids in under each arm. And just like, just get a nap in. (laughs) That that was awful. That was an incredible ride. Let's do it again. (laughs) I remember walking around my neighborhood in Orlando and on my neighbor's, neighbor's driveway, a hole emerged and swallowed his driveway. Like the end times. I remember walking past and seeing a crack and then coming back the next day and there was a, an apocalyptic hole in the driveway. And so I was talking, my neighbor comes out. I was like, what just happened, mate? And he said, this is a sinkhole. I was like, what is a sinkhole? And he said, well, underneath the earth, they try and find this before they build, but sometimes they're so deep. And when it's super dry, the water in these underground streams exists. And then when it's really hot, the water evaporates or is used up and it leaves these these holes underneath the soil that no one can see. No one's aware that the water's gone. But when it's gone, it creates a space and whatever's on top of it is too strong, too heavy, and it collapses down into that hole in the void. And he said, you hate this, but this is a sinkhole. And I started thinking about all of my friends who were in ministry, my friends from seminary, my friends from my childhood, whose lives out of nowhere just fell into a hole. I got a friend, I got a friend from seminary, amazing guy, one of my best mates. We took a class on fraud. Hey, pastors, you don't want to have any scandals. So we take a class on fraud, and um, he says to me, hey, I think you need to check into your executive pastor. He's got like a lot of access to a lot of money. And they said fraud happens when there's a need and when there's an opportunity and there's a lack of accountability. He says, I think you need to check into him. So I check into my executive pastor and he's a saint. But it turns out this guy had stolen $800,000, had paid for that doctoral degree that we're in seminary for with stolen funds and got a 10-year prison sentence. I'm sitting here, looked amazing on the surface. Nobody could see, but in the secret places underneath the soil of his life, his love for God had disappeared. The water of the Holy Spirit gone out of his life and he just fell into a hole because he did not have the character underneath, the living water to sustain him. Another friend, another friend, hanging out, goes to a strip club to do ministry, falls in love with the stripper, is using the church credit card at the ATM. That's how he got caught. Leaves his wife, leaves the ministry, runs off with the girl from there. It's like these are, these, are not, these are not sensational stories. These are my friends in ministry. And here's the thing. We live in that time where we have been depleted of our life with God in the last couple of years. And you may look fine on the surface right now, you may be showing up and everything's good, but is this? Is there a danger underneath the soil of your heart? Is there stuff in the secret place that no one knows that would disqualify you? You look good right now, but if it comes out, a little bit more time, more dryness, collapse. This is what he says. You've got to make sure that your life is disciplined and has integrity, that you're not disqualified for the race that God has for you. It's typical things we've talked about. It's porn, it's it's excessive spending. It could be bitterness, it could be anything. These things are there all the time. But the call that he's asking us for is be people who train in private, in the secret place, so that you have the character to sustain what God has for you in the public place. Is there anything in your life right now that no one knows about. You're faking it. You look great. You look good, showing up. Come to the men's event. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't miss it. But underneath, you were dangerously close to your life imploding into a sinkhole of secret sin in your life. Listen, I want to tell you it is way better to get it into the open than to try and hide it. Listen, your sin won't destroy your life. God has a remedy for your sin through the cross of Jesus. But trying to hide your sin and manage it, that will destroy you. There's only two stories that matter. The best story is the redemption story, because that's the one we all live in. And the other story is a victory story where God gives you power over it. Both of those stories are available to you this weekend. Redemption and victory. There's a third story you don't want, and that's when you get caught. And then it's then it's a shame story. And then it's, it's, it's the, the story where people shake their head. And you don't have to go out that way. In a room like this, there's got to be men. There's got to be men. Who are secretly disqualified Though they look like they're doing well Get it into the light tonight Get it into the light It's time for that victory story It's time for that redemption story Paul says if you're going to run like an athlete You will not be rewarded Unless you run according to the rules Tonight God's leveling some people up So that they will not be disqualified from his call And the third kind he says this Third metaphor The soldier Military mindset Athlete integrity, discipline. third one he uses is the farmer. He's the hard-working farmer. Must be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now, we live in a world, for the most part, where we're separated from the land. I, I, I don't know, the, the Salinas Valley is not too far from here. I was I was there this morning. That's where John Steinbeck wrote all of his, his vision. His life vision was the Salinas Valley. And what I love the story of the land. Well, li- listen, in New York City, there's no land. There's no land. A piece of land the size of this, honestly, it's probably like nine million dollars for the land, the size of this room. When I want food, I got a Whole Foods. They call a whole paycheck. I honestly recently <laughs> bought four apples and it was twelve dollars. I said to my What are these magic apples? Four apples, $12. They better be better than organic. They better be named and have bark playing to them on the trees when they were growing. I don't, I don't know where the food comes from. I hear there's a, there's a water crisis in California and the almonds are taking all the water. I'm like, I don't care. I'm just eating almonds by the bag full. I don't, I'm separated from the land in my world. We live at a time where the most part we don't understand the process and pain of developing food. And so the idea of being a, a hardworking farmer, you're like, why would anybody be a farmer? So much work, you just got a whole paycheck and just get what you need at any given moment. We live in a world of technique. We live in a world of machines. We live in a world of technology. Most of us don't live in a world of timing and seasons and soil, seeds, sunlight, patience, and discipline, and waiting. We live in an instant world. And we think that everything that we deserve can come in a moment. And here's what Paul says to Timothy. you got to find men who understand the power of process. The power of process. I've got a friend, uh, he's an investment banker. He works for Goldman Sachs. He's super successful. He's a managing director. So he rolls in, he's got a suit, makes millions of dollars a year. But he's actually a good old boy from Texas. That's where he grew up. And he's never seen an animal he didn't want to shoot, skin, and eat in his life. 12 years ago, after living in uh, Manhattan for five years or so, I was like, "This is going to kill me. This is going to kill me. I got to get back in touch with the land." So I bought a one hundred-year-old restored farmhouse in the middle of Pennsylvania. We call it Pennsyltucky. It's in a tiny little town of about eight hundred people called Canadensis. Any of you heard of it? No, you haven't. There's nothing there. There's nothing in Canadensis. <laughs> But I I got a couple of acres that back onto a nature preserve. They're never going to build on it. Then I started recruiting my friends to the city. Let's build a summer community. Summer community. It's cheap. My next-door neighbor's bought the house next to me, two-bedroom cottage, 33 grand. Doable. Doable. My mate, who's the investment banker who loves to kill stuff, buy 60 acres to hunt on next to me so here's my neighbor i get photos of him and like i'm gutting the deer on your driveway man aren't you glad we bought the land i'm like yes i am i'm having venison tartare for dinner and then he so he, he hunts everything kills everything and then he got into farming and he's like we need to get back in touch with the soil So he lives in the upper west side of Manhattan, super posh neighborhood, and he has a penthouse apartment that's a duplex. That's two-story with a staircase. I can't put into words how amazing that is. So I go over his house. He's super generous. I go over his house, and his kitchen table, which can sit about 40, is covered with like heat lamps, growing lamps. And I'm like, mate, have you... Do you really work at Goldman Sachs? Like, what? What sort of operation is this? goes, no, 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 no. It's for my seedlings. I'm farming this summer. I'm like, okay. As he starts, comes out, he pulls out these seedlings. They took over his apartment. Pulls over these tiny little seedlings. He's got. He's a great dad. He's got four kids. He's super patient with his kids. The only time I've seen him like get stuck in one of his daughters is because she knocked off some seedlings. <laughs> what by now? He's like, what are you doing to the seedlings? Picks him up, babying these things. He does this whole transfer operation of these seedlings out to his house in the Pocono Mountains, Canadensis, and he's got a whole nother heat lamp set up. And I go out there and he's like, come look at the progress. Johnny, come over, mate. Look at the progress. And they've gone from like this big to this big, and he's like, oh, it's going to be a bumper crop. <laughs> The whole time I'm like, why, why am I, why, why am I here? I'm not here to watch your seedlings turn into not much more than seedlings. How is this the vision of my life? He's got stuff. He's killing deer that are like trying to eat it. So he's got this whole fenced in scenario. Another ceremony to transfer them into the soil. It's a big moment. Gathers the whole community. There's eight families now for this whole ceremony. I'm like, what is happening here? Months go by. Every time I go over his house, he's like, Hey, I need to show you the garden. And at this point, I'm like, Yeah, okay, man. Let's do it. Let's just, I need this. And I go out, see what's amazing. And then we have this feast, like a, like a kinfolk Thanksgiving feast. And he's just, he's telling everybody's like 50 people. He's telling everybody, I grew that myself. That was a seedling in Manhattan. And I brought it out here. And I have lamps. I've invested. I've got lamps here. And I did a ceremony. And he's just like talking me through it, talking me through it. The okra. He says, See that salad? I grew that salad. I grew that salad. He's just going on and on. And they were sitting here and everyone's eating. And he's, he's kind of like looking around the table. Like, huh? <laughs> and I said to him, oh, gee, mate. I normally just go to Whole Foods. And he says this Yeah, take a bite He goes, But the taste But the taste You don't get that taste At Whole Foods You don't get that taste Unless you have seedlings And lamps And soil And you're killing deer That are coming for your car You don't get that taste But the taste And everyone's like The taste, the taste, the taste His level of enjoyment and satisfaction from that process was extraordinary. A lot of people in ministry today, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, they want someone whose life is fully together to walk into the church, come down the front, give their life to Jesus, have them serving on a team next week, mentoring four young men the week later, baptizing their family and all of their cousins who were so impressed by their change, and not deal with any wrestling, any drama, any sin, any brokenness. They want whole paycheck Christians to just come in and be solved. But the the, the beauty of that hardworking farmer, the taste of seeing someone come to Jesus and working with them and loving them. And here's the thing, we need patient men playing a long game in our world today. We're getting people burned out because they think it's a one-year commitment rather than a 19-year war. But the taste. We run an outreach event at our church called Alpha. It's like a series of meals where you talk about Jesus and you get people who are far from God and you just watch these talks and you eat food and you talk about Jesus. Well, I was like, okay, if our church is going to do this, i got to do this. So I, I get my non-Christian friends. I've got this guy named Matt who's from California and he's living with this girl from New York And he's a super long story. He was into the New Age, and he was meditating on a cliff in Costa Rica and felt demonic forces try and take over his body. And it freaked him out. He said, I need to go to church. So he comes to our church. (laughs) He's living with this girl. And uh, so they come to the first service, and this this girl says to me, I just want you to know that I violently disagree with everything you said. (laughs) I said, "Well f- f- wonderful, thank you for hanging around then. I would hate to be in an environment where I violently disagreed, so I really respect you for that. <laughs> so I talk these people. I talk these people into coming to this alpha weekend. They call it the Holy Spirit weekend. OK And uh, we, we watch these three talks on the mystery of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, And I kid you not, she sleeps. She sleeps like she's had medication through all three talks. <laughs> So she's like doing volleyball and doing all the activities and the Holy Spirit talks and she's like, she's out. And, um, and then we say this thing, the God we've been talking about, you can experience. Can we pray for you? And so I say, how many of you guys would like to experience the God we've been talking about? And they both put their hands up. I'm like, okay, Lord. Okay. So I come up and pray for her Holy Spirit. I just want to pray right now that you would show her the father's love. And, uh, absolutely nothing happens. And I'm like, okay, Lord, she was resistant, okay. This guy's kind of hungry. Holy Spirit, I just pray, just reveal yourself. And then he pulls me aside after and he said, hey, man, can I just give you some feedback? I was like, yeah. He's like, I just wanted you to know I'm really disappointed and felt absolutely nothing. And you told me that on this event I could meet God, but I didn't meet him. I was like, okay, they're fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> I keep praying. I keep praying, Holy Spirit, come on. Come on, God, you gotta, you got to win these people. you got to touch these people. I'm praying months and months, and then a breakthrough, they break up. She moves out, and then out of the blue we're praying, they start getting woven in start having this radical encounter, and then one day she comes up to me, and I do not recognize her. She's like, I've just met Jesus. I've just given my life to Jesus. It's amazing. She said, I've got to tell you a story. I was like, okay. She's like, do you know how I got here today? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, no, I don't know if you know this. She said... I've had a tormenting voice and presence in my life, my entire life. And it's always said to me, don't go to church, don't listen to any of that stuff, stay away. Like a warning signal in my head. And I couldn't stay awake for those Alpha Talks. But when you prayed for me, that force, I physically felt it leave my body and then it opened my heart with a willingness to come. And then... My friend is reading the gospel and has an encounter with the living Jesus and becomes a small group leader and then leads worship in that and then starts being a coach in our church. And we sent both of them out onto the next stage of their life, equipped, fired up, baptized both of them in my backyard in the middle of New York. Amazing story of salvation. Now look, I lead a large church in New York City. A lot of people. One of the biggest churches in New York. But I'm going to tell you a confession. Most of those people are just coming from other churches. It's okay. They come in ready. They come to the front. They serve. But those are people that I got in seed form. Those are people I prayed for, loved, watered, poured my heart into. And people say, what do you love about ministry? And I'm like, I love the long, hard process of seeing sinners who don't love God become followers of Jesus. And people tell me, what's it like? I say, but the taste. But the taste. These people, hardworking farmer, the patience, the joy, the process, the love, the tears, the dysfunction, the fights, the energy. Nothing like it. And Paul says to Timothy, you've got to find people who understand the joy of the process. The joy of the process. The kingdom of God always comes to us in seed form. And how you steward the seed determines the harvest you get. Nobody gets a harvest because you won't be the right person for the harvest if you get the harvest. You have to be a person that stewards the seed all the way through to the harvest. Then you'll appreciate what it is that God has given you. Looking for, looking for people with a military mindset, not entangled, I understand the fight they're in. Looking for athletes with a sense of spiritual ambition and competition, but with integrity, living according to the rules. Looking for farmers who are willing to work to the point of exhaustion through a painful process. They got a vision of a greater harvest. Would Timothy put you in leadership? Would he be saying, I need to get coffee with you? Let's go catch up. Let's go try tip. I want to talk to you about your future in our church. The solution to the problems of the city of Ephesus and the church in Ephesus were better men. And I want to say this, the solution to the problems in our world today and our churches today are simply better men. And God has put you here because he is calling you to be a farmer and an athlete and a soldier for his kingdom. And honestly, isn't that the cry of your heart? How many of you are like I don't I don't want to be involved in some mighty phenomenal exciting spiritual war? I want to just sleep this one out in mediocrity. I'm sign- I want to be mediocre and insignificant. Anybody? know? How many are like I want to blow my life up and be and, and create generational pain? Anyone like that's what I want to do? Nobody wants to do that. And how many of you are like I want to shortcut the process of integrity and have no lasting fruit? Nobody. Well then it's time. It's time. Look at what he says at the end. He says, those who consecrate themselves and cleanse themselves will be used for special purposes. And that's what God's looking for. He's looking for people who are willing to cleanse themselves from former things and be used for special purposes. There's a story that C.S. Lewis tells uh, in his book, The Great Divorce. And The Great Divorce, I don't know if you've read it, it's really an amazing book. It's a story about someone who gets a vision of heaven and hell. And in one particular part of the story, as they're getting a tour, I want to just read you an account from the book. They stumble in heaven across someone who looks like a, like a saint, someone who just has tremendous power. And then this is what we read. The man sees a dazzling woman of astonishing beauty, with a group of boys and girls singing and playing instruments in her honor. And turning to his guide, he whispers, is it, is that? And the guide says, she's someone you've never heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith, and she lived in Golden Green. Well, he says, she seems to be a person of incredible importance. He says, yes, she is. But fame on Earth and fame in heaven are two very different things. And who are these boys and girls who were dancing and throwing flowers at her, or well, there are sons and daughters? She had many children? No, she had no children of her own. But every boy that she met became her son. Even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to her back door, and every girl that met her was her daughter. wasn't that from the parents? No, these are the kind that steal, some that steal other, other people's children, but her love was a different kind. Everyone that she impacted went back stronger to their natural families. And now the abundance of life she has in Christ flows through the new creation. So you, you could, I'm not talking about worldly significance. I'm not talking about getting more Instagram followers or TikTok followers. I'm not talking about... Everybody clapping when you're talking. I'm just talking about being known in heaven. I'm talking about your life, living a life in the eyes of the kingdom of God, that though it is not seen right now, when you step in, you get a rich welcome because you held your own at this time of history in the kingdom of God. And don't you want to be like, you want to walk into heaven with it, like you want to sneak in, or you want to walk in and just like, that's what's up. That's why you did your job. You delivered those packages with integrity. No one saw it. Your wife was mad. at You Just you were merciful to her because of the brokenness in her childhood. You spent time with those teenagers driving you crazy. Put your phones away. They never put their phones away. But you stopped arguing with them and you loved them. Come on in. It's these small things that do not look like much in the eyes of the world that are great in the kingdom of heaven. And this is what God says. Cleanse yourself. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes made holy, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. I want to tell you right now, regardless of what you have seen God do, there's more for you. There's more for you. God has destined you to a 30, 60, 100x life. There's not two gospels. There's not a gospel for super Christians and strugglers. There's a gospel for everyone who wants it. What determines the response is not the seed, it's the soil. You're given the same message as the saints in the Bible. You're given the same opportunities as the leaders in Ephesus. You're just given it now. You're given it now. So can we, can we just open our hearts to what it is that God wants to do? You sense the Holy Spirit doing something? Let's just bow our heads. Let's just open our hearts right now. And when I read this passage, you know what I say? I ask myself that question. Would Timothy be like, yo, John Tyson, John, my man, I want to talk to you. I see something in you. I see that mindset you've got about the fight we're in. I see that. I see stuff from the secret place manifesting in public. And I see that you're a worker, man. You're a laborer. And I see a harvest coming in your future. I want to get you in leadership. You're the kind of man I've been looking for. You're a part of the solution to the brokenness of this church in this region. And when I when I imagine that, I want to say, put me in the game. Right here. Yo, Timothy, here I am, man. you got to put me in. Don't pass me by. Please, man, help disciple me. I want to get it right. Put me in leadership. I want to be one of those men. I want to step forward. I want to be counted. I want you to use my life. I want to break generational cycles. I want to be different in my family. I want to take my place. I want to hold my own. I want to step forward. Use me, Lord. Well, that's what God's saying to you tonight. That's what he's saying to you tonight. There are thousands and thousands of Christian men in this region, but here you are in this room under this word on this night because God's given you that invitation. He's given you that invitation. And so why don't you just say to God, I'm in, I'm in. Just say that in your heart to Him. I'm in, I'm in. Maybe you're here tonight and you've gotten yourself entangled in some sort of civilian affair. And it's not bad. Like it's not, it's not evil. It's not like, you know, I need to go forward and confess this. God's just saying, I've got something better for you. Trade that, exchange that. Remember the story about David Wilkerson, you know, the cross and the switchblade, that famous story about Nikki Cruz? David Wilkerson used to spend it, two hours a night watching TV because being a pastor was hard. And he felt God say to him, Give me those two hours, give it to me, and exchange it for prayer, and I'll use your life mightily. And so we used to just take two hours a night and say, Okay, God, I don't even know what to pray for. That's Romans 8. We didn't even know how to pray as we should. The Holy Spirit will. Pray through us with groans that can't be uttered. He just began to groan, God, use me, use me. Then he saw a magazine, Time magazine, all these young kids, and he said, I've got to go to New York. I've got to preach the gospel. Do you know almost every morning of my life, I walk past the church in the middle of New York City that was built on that simple exchange when he was a pastor in Pennsylvania. Two hours a night turned into the biggest church in the middle of New York City because he just changed it wants to upgrade your life he wants to upgrade your life others may you may not God's got better stuff for you so why don't you just exchange that now what do you sense the Holy Spirit saying to you Lord what is this thing might be fine but God's got something better why don't you just say Lord I just offer this to you I want to upgrade I want a better assignment I want you to be able to trust me, and Lord, so I'm consciously unweaving this trivial civilian affair from the seriousness of the call of God on my life. It's amazing the little knickknacks and hobbies and idiosyncrasies that grown men get into because they're bored. And God wants to give you fresh vision tonight to put down. Paul says this, it's time to put away childish things. You sense the Holy Spirit saying something to you. Just say, God, you can have it. I want an upgrade tonight. Maybe you're here and there's an area and you're like, I got to get this into the light, man. Nobody wants your life to turn into a sinkhole. Nobody wants you to be that story of can you believe? Nobody wants you to be that person that says, I never saw that coming doesn't have to be that way. Bring it into the light. If there's something that's disqualifying your life tonight, you need to get that into the light. This is an intervention and invitation from God to a story of redemption. Maybe you feel trapped, like I can't. It's like, I can't get out of this. You can't go back, but you can go forward. You can go forward into the mercy of God. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Moses was a murderer was a persecutor, a, a blasphemer, and a violent man. God can use broken men to do beautiful things in the world if they choose the story of redemption. So if that's you tonight and you need to respond, I want to encourage you. We're going to, we're going to have a song of worship in the moment. I, I want to encourage you to come forward, come and confess it. There's going to be a group of pastors here, and they're going to, they're going to be full of grace, ready to embrace you and give you a plan of restoration. And maybe you are here... And this is going to sound kind of weird, but you've given up on something. And you're not a hardworking farmer. You got frustrated because the seed didn't come through the soil and you're like, I'm bailing on it. And tonight, God's saying, get back to the soil. Get back. Maybe you've had a gift, and out of fear, you buried it. And God's saying to you tonight, dig it up. Put it back in the market, get back to work. I've got something for you. If you're not happy... With the harvest of your life, sow a different seed for a different future starting tonight. Starting tonight. So can we all stand together? Let's stand together. And if you sense the Holy Spirit has spoken to you tonight, this is an invitation from God. This is an invitation. God wants to use you. You're here for an appointed purpose. I'm looking for soldiers tonight. Put in a leadership in the kingdom of God. I'm looking for athletes, spiritual athletes just determined to win. I'm looking for hard-working farmers willing to pay the price for a great harvest of revival in this region. Is that you? Is that you? So if you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you tonight, I want to encourage you to come forward right now for prayer. God's put something on your heart. I want to encourage you to come forward for prayer. These are your pastors, these are your friends, they love you. They want to be able to pray over you. So if God's touched your heart in any way, you need any sort of prayer, I want to encourage you to come forward. Come forward right now. Anything at all. This is your moment. You're in a room full of brothers who are here to cheer you on, not to condemn you. The Holy Spirit spoken to you tonight. And you're like, I want to go forward. God's got something for me. I want to encourage you. Come on forward. Be honest. Maybe you came with some friends. You want to pray with the people around you. Maybe you want to just turn to someone and say, man, pray for me. i got this thing. I want to bring it into the light. Or maybe you just want to say, I need God to stir up fresh passion. I feel dead in my heart. Let's just come forward. Maybe you're here tonight. You're not a follower of Jesus. And somehow you've got this sense of the kingdom of God. I want to encourage you to come forward. Come forward in response. I'm just going to lead us in a a prayer of response. Father, we come into your presence now. Lord, do you see these men here? Lord, you're drawing them to your heart. And I just want to pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill them. Fill them with power ask for those who are resisting you right now because they're embarrassed and they're ashamed. I just want to pray, break off that sense of shame and release freedom tonight, Lord God. Father, those who feel like they're caught in a trap and they can't get out of it, we just ask in the name of Jesus, you would just bring freedom tonight, Lord God. So Holy Spirit, we just encourage, invite you to come. We pray that you would move through this room. We pray that you would just free us from civilian affairs, God. Father, we confess the things that are entangling us. We ask that you forgive us for our sins that would disqualify us. And Father, we just pray for fresh power. If you're you're discouraged in such a way, you feel like giving up because the last couple of years have been really hard and you're just like, I just don't know if I can do it. You are a hardworking farmer. You've seen no harvest. I want to encourage you. Come forward for prayer right now. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to give you fresh power for the next season. Power to endure. Power to get through. So Holy Spirit, we just turn our hearts over to you. And Lord, we just pray you would honor your word. And we pray for good soil in this room and that it would bear good fruit. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.